Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hey there, and thank you for tuning in to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm your host. I'm a retail change and transformation specialist. I'm a consultant and advisor and work with medium and large retailers to tackle complex change, to understand what's really going on and to drive progress, bringing the ideal operating model into reality. This one is episode 212 and I appreciate you tuning in today to help celebrate the podcast's fourth birthday now. Yes, that's right. It's that time of year where we look back on the past 12 months worth of podcast content and pull out some of those golden nuggets, those key bits of insight or intel or ideas to help you drive better retail change and transformation. And this is part two of our golden nugget review. So if you've not already checked out the first part, then do head on over. That's episode 211. And you'll hear loads of different golden nuggets broadly themed around the process of change and the mindset that you can employ to be more successful at transformation. And in today's episode, we're diving into more golden nuggets focused more around key retail trends, omni-channel, and of course, that all-important customer experience. Before we dive into this, do make sure you head over to the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 212. That's obandco.uk slash 212. And you'll find references to all of the episodes that we're going to pull clips from today. So sit back and enjoy a whole bunch of golden nuggets coming your way. First up, we're going to be joined by the fantastic Simon Heddo from Rethink Productivity. Simon and I co-hosted Productivity and Transformation earlier on this year in September 2022. And in episode 192, we were tackling some retail myths and mottos as we built up to the event. Here's Simon talking about the importance of keeping it simple and focusing on the core principles that really matter. Here's Simon. Yeah, and I think people get pulled into the exciting stuff. So the, oh, new, yeah. <laughs> the, new, the new product, the new hardware that's in the, the environment, the new fandangle thing that's coming down from head office, and that takes the right off the detail. And it's very difficult to get those rhythms and routines back. So for me, retail is relatively simple. If you've got relatively happy colleagues, and I think you have to accept in the, the bigger the environment, the bigger the challenge that is, because it's really difficult to keep everybody happy all the time. So as a consensus, are most people happier? If you've got stock and it's priced, and your store's clean. And I think cleanliness has crept up the agenda since COVID. Mm -hmm. People are just acutely more aware of it. You're probably not far off. And then you've got different levels and layers underneath that. But the, the core principles are relatively simple. And it is absolutely critical to focus in on those fundamentals, those brilliant basics, shall we say. And as the market continues to evolve, we also need to think about if there are any new fundamentals. Understanding the evolving retail market is critical. And in episode 181, 
I was looking at six new business models driven by sustainability. Here's a clip from that episode. And this resale market is growing rapidly. Depop are perhaps the most notable company doing this, but more and more retailers are getting in on the action, helping find a second life for products. But what's interesting is that this particular new business model has actually been happening for a long time, whether it be through charity shops or car boot sales or garage sales or yard sales or even eBay, right? But for me, the key transformation in this resale business model is that the shift is moving away from consumer to consumer or C to C, shall we say, and it's changing to have a business as an intermediary. So it becomes not C to C, but C to B to C, right? That is a fundamental shift that is going to help the resale market scale and become more consistent. But to realize this, there are a number of different operating model challenges to face into. So resale was just one of the new business models that are being driven by sustainability. And sustainability is of course one of the big ongoing trends, one of the ever trends as I was calling them in episode 200, which we'll come back to a little later on I might add. And another one of the trends that we've seen in the retail market, certainly in the last couple of years, has been that of the checkout free store. And in episode 185, I dived into this topic in much more detail, an episode called Are Checkout Free Stores the Future? Here's a clip from that episode. There is a really significant challenge to lean into as well as you think about checkout free stores. And that is that by removing the checkout process, it actually takes out several key differentiators between retailers. So for example, I went shopping at the Tesco and Amazon checkout free stores with fairly similar missions each time. And what I found is once you're into the store, once you've gone through that sign up process, there's really not a huge amount to choose between those two different retailers. So the fewer differentiators that are remaining become more and more important. So for example, the differentiators could include the store environment, which as a customer, is very nice to shop in a freshly refurbed store, but perhaps you're not going to change which store you shop in because of only this element. The product becomes critically important, especially own brand or own label products. And whilst the product imagery and presentation is important for first time buyers, as we start to see more loyal customers shopping in these type of stores, the product itself will need to be super high quality to ensure that people do want to come back. Price. Perhaps this is the most comparable option, especially with branded products. Can of Coca-Cola. What's the difference between buying it from Tesco or buying it from Amazon? Price is literally the only differentiator there, right? And then finally, location. Which, if you as a customer have the choice between different convenience stores, perhaps you're in a city centre location and you are pressed on time, you're going to choose the store that helps you to save the most amount of time. So location becomes key. You're not going to want to walk for an extra few minutes past one checkout free store to get to another, right? And that's about it. 
That's about how you can differentiate. And another trend has of course been that of quick commerce, driven significantly by the pandemic, let's be honest, but also having its struggles right at the moment. Back in episode 169 and 170, I took a look at the rise of quick commerce. So this is from episode 170. And the first challenge that we should talk about is the fact that a 10 minute delivery is not for every company and it's not for every customer. Not everyone needs to have an ultra fast 10 minute delivery. Or if you are listening in the future, then a nine minute delivery or an eight minute delivery or whatever is the new sexy number. (laughs) But not everyone does need ultra fast in all seriousness. And it's not for every category or every product or every retailer, right? And remember, location won't work everywhere, certainly in a financially feasible way. And so it's important to recognize that quick commerce doesn't necessarily need to mean 10 minutes. You know, we've talked about this a few times over this episode and the last episode. Think more about quick as relative to the expectation. And furthermore, think more about convenience rather than speed. But nevertheless, faster and faster is a challenge that you need to be thinking about. There is this Kano type model going on here where faster is perceived as better. But I think there has to be a limit somewhere. When do we decide that this is just a race to the bottom? It feels like we're going to get to the stage of who can shave off an extra minute? Who can get it to an under 10 minute delivery time, an eight minute delivery time, a five minute delivery time? You know, is this really important? I think that's going to be a big question hanging over this entire market segment of retail. And of course, we were talking just a moment ago about financial feasibility. And I think this whole profitability and this whole feasibility is really important. And then, of course, another big trend for the past 12 months has been that of the metaverse. It's had loads of proverbial column inches, but there's still quite a bit of confusion. So in episode 172, I decided it was time to explore what the metaverse means. Here's a clip from early on in that episode. But there is one massive question that resides around this entire topic. What is the metaverse? Well, this word was first tabled 30 years ago now in the novel Snow Crash. But the idea of a digital world had been around beforehand. You know, think about films like Tron in 1982, which could easily be categorized as the metaverse in today's modern world. So let's take a look at the word metaverse. It's the coming together of meta and universe. Now, universe, I'm pretty sure you understand, but meta actually isn't that widely understood, I would suggest. Meta is from the Greek word meaning beyond or more comprehensive. So it's beyond the universe, more comprehensive than the universe. But increasingly, meta has been used as a term to almost double down on a particular topic. Metadata, perhaps the most obvious, meaning data of data. And with that same logic, you could say that the metaverse is a universe of universes. And I think that's a great way to think about what the metaverse is, a universe of universes, most likely digitally enabled, of course. But I would suggest that our real physical universe absolutely can be within that scope too. 
Now, a common thought about the metaverse is that it has to be a big 3D VR world, a bit like the Oasis that is portrayed in the book and movie Ready Player One. But I'd argue that the metaverse is not just VR. It could include AR, but it could include more basic forms than that as well. Online gaming, I would suggest, is a form of metaverse, allowing people to connect and play with others in an alternate universe. Social media is another form of very basic, very primitive metaverse, allowing us to exist within a digital world, connect, communicate, collaborate, with others also in that same digital world. And I'd argue that community is a key part of the metaverse concept. You do not want to exist in a digital world by yourself, but you can connect with real world friends as well as digital friends. And who knows, perhaps artificial friends in the future as well. Still thinking about some of the big retail trends at the moment, the rise of influencers has been extremely interesting for the retail market. It's really shaken up what it means for advertising and marketing teams. And in episode 179, number 179, it was fantastic to catch up with influencer extraordinaire, Michael Leblanc. He's a B2B influencer, a B2C influencer, and he's managed influencer campaigns. So he was the perfect guest for episode 179, exploring how influencers are changing retail. Some of the best influencer marketing programs are finding people that align with your brand and let them do their thing. Because mm. the authenticity then just rings through. And, and really that is consistently been where I've been successful is finding someone and then giving them a long lead or, you know, here, here's our new product, do with it what you will, so mm. to speak, because you've already baked in the trust that they, you know, that they are have an affinity for your product or your category. You've watched what they do. Don't set a lot of parameters. You know, you get your brand parameters, which which are kind of table stakes. But the differentiator is allowing that deft touch so that they be creative and come up with ideas you'll never come up with. I mean, this is part of the genius, right? You've got this wisdom of the crowds where, you know, if you dictate, I want the following things done on the following days, that's fair for a launch, but it must look like these five things. I mean, I think you're you're it's a suboptimal outcome. You're not mm. going to get the full creativity out of the relationship that is that is there. There's so much creativity out amongst the people, mm. and it's just you know it's 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 just you know how do you put the right amount of incentive product and just allow that to blossom and and it'll return fivefold versus you know every single line item and every detail. So as I said, it's a, a deft touch wins the game and, and just the right resources to make sure they're all connected and see what you do and, and you know follow up and see how it works and measure it the way you can. It's incredibly interesting to see how influencers are being used by different retailers and different brands. And of course, there are many lessons to take from China, especially as we see more influencers getting involved with live stream shopping and live streaming has of course been another big retail trend to keep your eye on recently. And in episode 189, I explored how live stream shopping is changing retail. Here is a clip from that one. And so now as we look at video content, there are broadly three new formats that are much more present and much more popular today. 
Those three formats are live stream shopping, recorded shoppable videos, and one-on-one video content. That is connecting one particular customer with one particular colleague for a live video call. And as you think about these three formats of video content, almost they're on a spectrum between entertainment on one side and functional retail on the other side. You know, imagine live streaming is much more about entertainment and discovery. So that end of the spectrum, you've got shoppable videos in the centerpiece that are content that brings products to life in a richer way than just a lifestyle photo or product picture. And then down at the functional retail end, we've got these one-on-one video conversations, which are all about specific questions where a customer is most likely to be very much in the consideration phase, the decision-making phase of a customer journey, or maybe even post-purchase too. And it is a very specific question, much more functional, like I say. Now, this spectrum is not an exact science. It's not so black and white. Of course, there are different ways that you could play around with these three broad video formats. And if you want to find out even more about live stream shopping, then also listen to episode 190, where I explored a live stream shopping operating model. And of course, you can also not miss out on episode 202, where I was joined by Fireworks, Jason Holland, as we explored immersive video to engage customers. And Jason shared loads of great insights about both live stream shopping, but also shoppable video, a great opportunity to help bring your brand and your products to life for customers. So here's a snip from episode 202. One of our partners in particular, Muji in Japan, has done a great job of adopting the live commerce model and bringing in their in-store sales associates, who are really the experts in what it is that, that they do, the products that they've got, etc. In giving them the opportunity to talk directly to their audiences and their digital consumer base. And then if you think about, you know, the ability to take all of that video that starts on your owned and operated asset, right? And that's really kind of the thesis Mm. here is how do we take what has traditionally been text and display based within the open web and convert that and start tapping into these progressive, innovative digital means that Alibaba has deployed and kind of worked so well within within China. And uh, the walled gardens have taken from a, a short video perspective and, and bring it all to the open web and revolutionize that digital consumer experience. And that's where I think about, you know, Western markets and, and really outside of China. You have to start looking at where digital consumer transaction takes mm. place. And, you know, 96% of all digital consumer transaction in the U.S. still takes place on the open web. But that digital consumer experience hasn't really continued to upgrade. So when we think about Omnichannel, and again, looping back to Muji, they have started to QR code in store and take those shoppable video and live stream experiences that live on their site and offer their in-store shoppers the ability to watch those videos and watch those live streams and immerse themselves in the products that they're looking Mm. at that are on the shelves in a totally different capacity. And that's where we're starting to see that omni-channel connective tissue really take place. And the evolution of live stream shopping and shoppable video 
goes really hand in hand with the evolution of Omnichannel. Now there's always lots of talk of different channels in retail. And so in episode 160, I decided it was time to take this head on. And I decided to pitch stores versus online, which is best. Here's a clip from that episode. But let's just spend a minute just to look back at some of the different models or approaches to retail over the years. For thousands of years now, retail has shown itself up in marketplaces. Arguably the very first D2C model <laughs> was in old fashioned markets where the manufacturers would sell direct to consumers. Amazing. We've also had a variety of other models since then. In no particular order, we've had traveling salespeople. We've had door-to-door -door salespeople. We've had street vendors. We've had stores, of course. We've had subscription services like newspapers or milk deliveries. We've had delivery boys being able to courier your groceries home. We've had over-the-counter stores. We've had self-service stores. We've had telesales. We've had infomercials. And we've had selling on TV. And of course, who can forget the plethora of mail order options available to us once upon a time? Now, all of these have been recipes for success for different companies. And now, arguably all of those still exist, by the way, but there are plenty more opportunities that you can go after. And I'm sure you can think of. And it seems that we've been talking about channels and omni-channel for a very long time, really, doesn't it? And that was one of the reasons that Omnichannel was one of the ever trends of retail that I explored in episode 200. Omnichannel was one of eight of these ever trends. So here is a clip from that episode about understanding Omnichannel and how that has evolved. So let's just think about why is Omnichannel still a trend, still a theme? Why have we not completed this just yet? Well, I would argue it's because our definition and our understanding of Omnichannel is continually evolving. You know, if we do rewind 10 years or so, when Omnichannel was beginning to emerge, it was this incredible idea where you could collect online orders from a store. Or even if you're going totally pro, perhaps online orders could be fulfilled from stores and you could open up your stock offering. But again, back to today, that has evolved. Click and collect or BOPIS, however you want to call it, is fairly standard. It's table stakes omnichannel, right? But now we're really looking at how colleagues can connect with customers in an omnichannel way. For example, in-store colleagues supporting online customers, as well as factors around how do you open up stock in a visible way to all customers. And actually, technology has created and enabled greater unlocks to be able to integrate channels, whether it be around databases, whether it be around APIs, etc., etc. Lots of different ways. And as omnichannel thinking has been around for longer, this technology is more developed around the particular problems and opportunities that omnichannel has to offer. But the other reason why omnichannel is still a trend is that we've got new channels that continue to emerge, whether it be social media, whether it be live streaming or others as well, this continues to challenge us, continues to think about how can we integrate and connect and create this seamless customer journey. And of course, customer technology 
in terms of smartphones, etc., continues to evolve around that as well. And given omni-channel is one of these ever trends, the topic has featured in many other episodes as well. For example, episode 176, called Being the Best Omnichannel Retailer. Here is a very short, sharp clip from that one. Look at those that have a strong omnichannel proposition, and then ask yourself, if you were truly omnichannel, what would you need to change in your current ways of working and collaborations and decision-making to enable that, to become, like I say, truly omnichannel. Have a think about it. So whichever way that you feel omnichannel is going for your business and for your brand and your operating model, it is important to be intentional. And that was a key message in episode 183, as I was exploring how you can define the role of your stores. And as this clip shows, there are lessons in there for other channels if you don't operate physical stores as well. Here is that clip. But what you're trying to do here is understand the role of your store and then build a roadmap for how you can begin to realize this. A roadmap that develops and evolves over time. A roadmap that recognizes some aspects are more important than others so that your customers can come into your stores in the way that will be best for them and best for your company. Now, maybe you want to think about trials or hothouses and developing a store of the future that begins to put this in place really quickly. But ultimately, what I want to really drive home with you today is that you need to define what you are trying to achieve, and then you can make the intentional developments to realize that. And if you're in a place where tough decisions are being made, you need to make sure that everything you do is intentional and driving you in the right direction. And with a strong recognition as well that nothing changes if there's no execution. And the evolution of mobile commerce has of course been an important factor in the evolution of Omnichannel as well. So it was fantastic to catch up with Ian Hobson of Chargebox in episode 206, as we spoke about evolving in-store experiences with smartphones. And this evolution of shopping driven by the smartphone is happening one way or another. So it is important to think about how aspects like personalization can fit into your business. Personalization <laughs> is, is very tricky to get right because what works for one person you know, doesn't necessarily work for, for somebody else. Good example for me, an app I quite enjoy is, is the Cafe Nero app, for instance. It's quite mm. a, a straightforward app. The way it's set up, it's good for me to start it the minute I walk into store because it helps me through the ordering process. You know, I get the bit of loyalty rewards and I can pay for it in there. And then, of course, it's got the closed loop of, you know, rate the barista and the, rate the coffee and, uh, uh, and so on. And mm. that, that's, that's quite a nicely done little app. But some people probably hate that. You know, the, 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 some people like to use their phone to scan. I personally wouldn't do that because I, then I'm carrying a basket and my phone and then trying to reach things off the shelves. And I don't have three arms. So, you know, the, there's, but some people say, well, I've got to have that. For me, if I was scanning, and scanning is a great thing in store, give me a personal scanner on a trolley, you know, that, that's very good at scanning, really good at scanning, and let yeah. me use my phone for something else. Yeah. But, but I think this personalization is very tricky for retailers to get right because they can they can ask 10 people and they may get 
you know, quite a lot of different answers. And, and do you cater for the majority or do you have to cater for the significant minorities? And that is, that's a real challenge. I, I, mm. and, and of course, every one of those requires investment projects and so on. So it, it's, it's very tough to get right. And I think people are yeah. still figuring it out. Yes, it's interesting just using you as as an example shopper, given those two couple of examples. You know, if you were to, or a retailer were to be asking you, do you want to use your phone while shopping? You'd be like, yes, Mm -hmm. but no, right? It's, you know, different use cases and it is therefore difficult. And when you multiply that out by all of the different segments and different types of customer and, you know, it's a very muddy situation. I do hope you are enjoying this episode so far. As you are hearing, there have been loads and loads of golden nuggets that we have uncovered over the past year. And if you want to keep track of these golden nuggets and listen in to the episodes that they're coming from, then check out the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 212. And do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing as well. If you're keen to stay informed about the ever-evolving world of retail, then you must sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. It's my free email newsletter, which keeps you up to speed with key developments, trials, rollouts, innovations, all from the world of retail. Plus, you get insight and intel from credible sources, so you can really understand the retail trends as they are happening rather than after the event. So back to our golden nuggets. And the next golden nugget is from episode 166, where it was fantastic to catch up with my brother, actually. Freddie Banks joined me here on the Retail Transformation Show as we were taking learnings from the service-led industry. So take a listen to episode 166. You almost want to create like connoisseurs or geeks on your on your brand or your product so what i mean by this is like it's not just reading the whatever the product is right it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, in the in the hair and beauty industry it could be any industry there's the the, the core facts of the product that you can find online on uh, brand websites and things like this but what is the 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 stuff that only a connoisseur would know that isn't maybe mm. necessarily available online so what i'm what i'm thinking is like you know when people say Oh, did you know? Like, what's the did you know fact? By the way, did you know this kind of unique insight? The shape of the product is like this because of, you know, some uh, some heritage uh, inspiration on the brand. Like, what's the the fun fact that only a, a geek of the brand would know? And that's something yep. that you can then arm your your staff and your employees with. The second thing is education beyond the product. So yes, information on the product you can find online. Yes, we can educate our staff on it. What is the education beyond the product? So what is the education on the experience that they're delivering? And in addition to inspiring your colleagues with, did you know, Intel, there have been many other ways that the role of the store colleague has been challenged. And in episode 199, I caught up with Nikki Baird to talk about the changing role of store colleagues. Here is a snippet from that episode. I've heard retailers say that the more information that they provide online, then the more challenging the questions are that come into the store associate. Uh, And some of them, particularly in the consumer electronics industry, they've actually become more strategic and curated about the information that they put online to make sure that Mm. the details that they share are things that actually should drive consumer decisions. So 
you know, the now now I'm going to get into territory where I'm, I'm not very good, but the refresh rate <laughs> on your screen or whatever it is, you know, there were some things that they were sharing about, well, it's this graphics computer chip that's in this big screen TV. And, you know, consumers would come in and ask like, well, is this computer chip better than that chip? And, you know, and retail sales associates are like, I have no idea. So, yeah. you know, and, and it does that, is that really something that matters in the overall decision process of the consumer? Unless you are like a total geek about that kind of stuff. No, it doesn't matter. So mm. why do we share that information in the first place? So it is interesting to see the dynamic between online and in-store and the expectations of store associates. But I would say as well, you know, that's sort of a, an unwinnable war, right? The consumer, because they only care about a smaller subset of products, is always going to know more than the store associate. So you really have to find a different role for store associates to engage on products, more of a curation kind of role, mm. like what other products go with the products that the customers are interested in or more advice on how to make the most use of those products. So less of an expert on the details of the product and more an expert on how that product fits into a customer's life is a, is a yes. very different shift, but I think it's an important one. Another challenge that many retail colleagues have to face into is that of a customer complaint, of course. It's not particularly glamorous, but it does happen and it is essential to deal with it. So in episode 161, I caught up with Helen Dudney, the self-proclaimed complaining cow, and we spoke about how you can forge a customer complaints strategy. And in particular, how that can ease some of the frustrations for your customers common complaint from from consumers is that they were pushed from pillar to post nobody answered the phone um that they having to repeat themselves they've been fobbed off it's those kinds of things that are always at the top of the list that consumers tell me that that really frustrate them and they're so easy to deal with it's it's about empowering your, your staff as we mentioned but making sure that they're well trained so that they don't have to push you to somebody else for you to repeat yourself. Mm. It's about making sure that people are not waiting an hour on the phone, you know, and not when you're trying to cut back expenditure, you're not cutting it in customer service because that's actually where you need to be investing because we all know it costs five times, at least five times as much to get a new customer as it does to retain one. Mm. So why aren't you spending more in customer service than marketing that I mean that one always gets me because people think well marketing and advertising it's sexy and it's fun and it's great and look at all our new customers yeah but you've disinvested in your customer service and you've lost this one this one this one and this one yep so to me it's just a no-brainer but but companies don't get their head around it you just see all the big companies which I shall name <laughs> if you want me to who don't invest in the customer service and it's atrocious and fixing the frustrations remains a massive opportunity for many retailers throughout the customer experience, not just after things have gone wrong. And it was a theme that I was talking about very recently in episode 210, where I looked at how you can make marginal gains to drive profit. Take a listen. Fix the frustrations in your business. Now, this is a big one, but I guarantee there are loads of frustrations for your customers and for your colleagues that exist within your business 
right now. And the simple idea is stop these frustrations. Do not muck up. You need to stop making the mistakes. And I know no one intentionally makes the mistakes, right? And perhaps you think, actually, my operation is ticking over perfectly. But I'd be willing to guess that actually your customers and maybe some of your colleagues would strongly disagree with you there. And it's funny because when you think about frustrations, this is, again, an incredibly obvious one to go after, right? But it's also hidden from view because, well, you haven't done anything about it up until now. So how are you going to find the frustrations? Firstly, I'd suggest you hear what your customers are saying. C.1, right? (laughs) But also go shopping yourself. Go shopping with your colleagues, with your team. Not necessarily together, but go individually. How does it feel to actually shop as a customer? Don't get out your staff discount card and give the game away. Don't use the account that you've already got set up, etc. on your website, whatever. Go through that whole process and look, see, ask like a brand new customer would rather than the knowledgeable person that you are where you know the reason for this and how that works and you know the little workaround to get around that. And perhaps you don't even read all of the words because you've read them a hundred times before. So they get a bit meaningless. So go shopping, find the frustrations, and then you can work on how do you clarify the challenges of what you found. And if you then focus on solving those particular challenges, you will be able to drive an easier, simpler, much less frustrating outcome and experience for your customers. And that is going to drive big opportunities. Again, each frustration is a small little change, but together it's going to drive a big impact for the business. And there are loads of opportunities to fix those frustrations as well as to level up your customer experience. And of course, the greatest source to do that is frankly to listen to your customers. And I'm sure you know that already. However, it can be difficult to really get a good grasp of what your customers are saying. So in episode 205, it was a real pleasure to catch up with True Ratings' Brian Dennis, as we spoke about listening to your customers to transform customer experience. Take a listen to Brian Dennis here. And retailers need to be in this constant listening mode with their, with their customers. You know, it was interesting to listen to Starbucks COO John Culliver last week say that it's clear their physical stores have to change. Their physical stores were built for a different era. And you don't think of Starbucks stores as being outdated, but he's right. Think about it. The drive-through makes up 50% of their sales today in the U.S. Wow. And delivery has grown by 24% this year alone. You know, even their product mix has changed. Cold drinks, think about it. Cold drinks make up 75% of Starbucks U.S. beverage orders. And it's really taxing their employees in the kitchen. The kitchens weren't set up for that. Mm. It's taking the customers longer to get their drinks. And the employees there are incredibly frustrated because they don't have the tools to make the drink correctly. And in addition, they've got staffing challenges and their employee morale is at an all-time low. So Starbucks is a good example because they're listening to their employees and the company is now focusing on benefits. They're including more flexible scheduling and they're even expanding the ability for customers to tip at mobile, right? So think mm. about, you know, the little jar on the counter doesn't exist at, at, at the mobile po- component. So yeah. they're incorporating a way for customers to be able to tip tip more. You know, in the, in the same spirit of listening, you know, at True Rating, we found, you know, 65% of 
consumers compare prices when they shop. But that doesn't mean, you know, retailers should immediately turn to cost cutting. Our data also shows that it's not about a race to the bottom on price or deep discounting or even cutting staff. Mm. Rather, retailers need to focus on and, and talk much more about product quality, product benefits, unique selling points to convince customers to continue to visit stores. And by the way, getting that extra item in the basket, it's not going to be easy, right? They are going to have to be better merchandise than ever before. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, buy online, pick up in store, customers are only coming in for exactly what they need. So the thing is this, you know, this COVID, Ali, I think has taught consumers how to be more thoughtful and informed. Inflation just gives them a reason to kind of continue doing it. <laughs> yeah. But we know consumers are shopping around more before making purchases. In fact, we've seen a 10% increase versus kind of that same pre-inflationary period. We've also seen consumers' likelihood to shop with a list, right? They're walking into the store with a list, grow at 9% in grocery alone, which leads to a 15% savings. And that margin is coming out of one place, right? It's coming out of the retailer's bottom line. So these shopping lists directly impact impulse sales. I I think another key is to better listen to your customers and then inform them. And and that sounds like a no-brainer, right? But but the ability to be able to do that and, and be able to listen to them better is is incredibly important. So I guess I would tell retailers, focus on listening, communicating unique value, focus on differentiating the experience, and then execute on it. You know, our recent study we did showed 77% of customers are loyal to retailers that share the same values, you know, and that's so incredibly important. Can you believe it? That was our very last golden nugget that we're going to be taking a little listen to today. There have been absolutely loads of topics that we've explored today, in the last episode, but also throughout the rest of the podcast archives. And if you have enjoyed this episode and the last episode, then perhaps you'd like to explore some more golden nuggets from the archives of the Retail Transformation Show. And actually, I'm going to head you straight on over to episode 158 and 159, where you could explore the golden nuggets from the third year of the podcast. And there are even more to check out as well. So indulge yourself (laughs) and continue to stay tuned to the Retail Transformation Show. As we head into the next 12 months, there are loads of great topics and guests lined up for you. And as always, it's fantastic to hear which parts of the podcast are most valuable, which are the golden nuggets that really resonate for you. Do reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. That's oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Or find me on LinkedIn and send me a message over there. It's always a pleasure hearing from you. And it's always an honour, I might say, to be joining you every single week as we explore how retail and shopping is changing and what you can do about it. So thank you so much for listening today. Thank you so much for listening to all of the other episodes as well. Check out the show notes one more time, obandco.uk slash 212. I'll look forward to joining you for another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.